The media's propaganda on behalf of terrorist group Hamas continues. Democrats struggle in the polls. And North Korea tries to pull the rug out from under President Trump. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So a lot going on today. We'll get to all of it. First, if you missed it yesterday, we made a pretty big announcement. This August, I am taking the Ben Shapiro Show live to audiences in Dallas and Phoenix, and you'll be able to see me in person and join in an audience Q&A. We're also doing a special VIP event beforehand with a signing and meet and greet for 200 superfans. I know the tickets are really running out quickly. They may already be sold out, actually, so go check it out right now. Daily Wire premium subscribers actually have until tomorrow Thursday, May 17th at 10 p.m. local time to get your pre-sale tickets. So you have to do it like right now because these things are going super fast. They may be gone in Dallas already. After that, seats are going to go fast for general admission and VIP access. If you aren't a subscriber, this is the best time to do it. Once again, go to dailywire.com slash events to get your pre-sale tickets and additional info. That's dailywire.com slash events. Again, those VIP tickets mean you come backstage and we all hang out and we talk and you get to take pictures, and you get some swag. It's pretty awesome. So dailywire.com slash events. Become a member, and uh, you can get your pre-sale tickets now. If you're just a member of the general population, then wait for a day and a half, and uh, and then you'll be able to get tickets as well. Okay, so I'm also, I promise I'm going to get to the news in just one second. Before I get to the news, I also want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Zeal. So you may have found this week's news rather disquieting, somewhat upsetting. Maybe you found it a little bit non-relaxing. Well, This is why you need Zeal. So Zeal is one of these things that makes you feel wealthy even when you are not. For a really reasonable price, you can bring a masseuse to your home and they bring the spot with them. They bring the table. They bring the massage oils. They bring the candles. They bring the music. They bring the whole deal. They come right to you and it's on demand. Go to zeal.com or Zeal's iPhone or Android app. That's Zeal spelled Z-E-E-L.com and select from top local, licensed, and pre-screened massage therapists. You can choose your favorite technique, gender preference, time, and location for your massage, and they send one of their 10,000 licensed massage therapists with all of the goods. Scheduling, booking, payment, fast and easy. Even the tip is included seven days a week, 365 days a year. A Zeal massage therapist can be at your door. It's privacy, it's convenience, it's quality, and it's comfort. It is fantastic. I have gotten Zeal for my wife. I've gotten it for my mother. I've gotten it for my father. I've gotten it for my in-laws. I've gotten it for my sisters. It really is just first rate. So check it out, zeal, Z-E-E-L.com. And when you use promo code Ben, you actually get 25 bucks off your first massage. Again, use that promo code Ben, zeal.com, promo code Ben, 25 bucks off your first massage, or use their Zeal iPhone or Android app. Enter that promo code Ben, you get 25 bucks off that first in-home massage. Use promo code Ben to let them know that we sent you as well. Okay, so yesterday, the media continued their policy. Their policy is to repeat whatever Hamas tells them, the terrorist group Hamas. Uh, The media coverage on this has just been extraordinary and demonstrative of the fact the media do not care about the actual facts on the ground in the slightest. They legitimately do not care about the facts on the ground because I can show you some of the facts on the ground. We showed you some of the facts on the ground yesterday. Here are some more facts on the ground. So we begin with this tweet. Okay, this is from a reporter named Raf Sanchez. It's from April. So these protests, supposed protests, you know, peaceful protests that are actually violent riots, these have been going on for two months. These are actual pictures from the Gaza Strip from Raf Sanchez, who's not a pro-Israel reporter, and he tweeted out, we met some young men earlier cashing $200 checks they got from Hamas after being shot by Israeli forces on Friday. The severely injured get 500 bucks. The families of the dead get 3,000 bucks. So Hamas is paying people to go out there and attempt to get shot by Israeli forces so they can have those pictures on the front pages of the newspapers. They're not being shy about any of this. Hamas is being absolutely clear about their intent. They're being 100% transparent about what it is they wish to do, at least when they are talking to their own people. Here's a Palestinian man on NPR yesterday explaining that their actual goal is to break into Israel and kill as many Jews as humanly possible. 
The Israelis know that people are flying kites with swastikas. They know this. And they use it to discredit you, to say this shows you're bad people. What do you think about that? This is actually what we want them to know, he says, that we want to burn them. <laughs> so the best part of that clip is the part where Steve Inskeep is like, you know, they're using your swastikas for propaganda. And Hamas is like, well, I don't care. We want them to know that we want them to burn in the ovens just like the Jews in, in the Holocaust. And I, I love the, the puzzlement of the media. But, but you don't understand, like, it makes you guys look bad. And like, we don't care. We want to kill Jews. And we like the swastika. There, there, are, there are no Jews, by the way, living in the Gaza Strip. It's amazing. For all the talk about apartheid states, zero Jews live in the Gaza Strip. Zero Jews live in Palestinian Authority-controlled areas. The reason is because zero Jews live basically around the Middle East. All of these supposedly moderate Muslim nations and leaders are not interested in having Jews in their country. There is, however, in the Gaza Strip, a haircutting place called Hitler. I'm not kidding. Uh, there's actually a shop apparently called Hitler in the Gaza Strip. So they've got their priorities very straight over there. And again, when, when the media say that these are nonviolent protests and that everything is hunky-dory, okay, this is coverage from yesterday. Significant damage to farms inside Israel due to these flight these kite-flown Molotov cocktails. So here is what's happening. The, the terrorists in the Gaza Strip are making kites, and then they are putting Molotov cocktails, which essentially is alcohol or gasoline with fire attached or little bombs, uh, and they are flying them over the border, and then they are hoping that those kites land in Israeli fields and start significant fires. And so you can see all of the pictures you know, online. It's pretty incredible. They've made these large kites. They've attached Molotov cocktails to them. And you can see all the pictures of the fields burning in Israel. But don't worry. It's all nonviolent. Also, we've heard that Israel has been indiscriminately shooting Palestinians. Indiscriminately. Like just going out there and mowing down Palestinians. Sure, there were 40,000 Palestinians who were protesting, who were rioting on the border on, on Sunday and Monday. Sure, only about 60 of them were killed. Uh, and sure, it turns out that Hamas is admitting the vast majority of those people were Hamas members. Here is a senior official with Hamas. His name is Salah al-Bardawil, and he is on a, he's on a Palestinian TV network. And he's explaining full out that the vast majority of people who were killed were Hamas members, members of terrorist groups. He says, in the last round of confrontations, if 62 people were martyred, 50 of them were Hamas. 50 of them were Hamas. Okay, Hamas is not hiding the ball. They are not hiding the ball. They're absolutely clear about this. They organized this stuff because they wanted people shot. They organized violent protests at the border because they want people shot because they like the pictures. Or alternatively, they were hoping they could break the fence and people would rush through. All the people who are saying today, well, why didn't Israel use rubber bullets? Why didn't Israel use alternative forms of dissuasion when it came to the border? Because if they had done that, then people would have cut through the border. And you know what happened then? You know what happened if, the, if Hamas gets through the border? Literally hundreds of terrorists were waiting to rush through the border if the border opens. And you know what that's going to mean? Then it's going to mean that Israel has to mow down hundreds of people. Mow them down. Because once they get into Israel, you know what they're going to do? They're going to go to any Israeli settlement they can find, any place that Israelis live, any place that Jews live, and they're going to murder them in their beds. That's what Hamas does. And yet it's Israel that's the problem here. It's Israel that's a serious issue here. You can see the Democrats making this case. It's just astonishing. Bernie Sanders, he blames President Trump for all this, not Hamas which, again, has been doing this sort of thing since Hamas was conceived. Hamas has been leading riots and violence and murder and kidnapping of Israeli soldiers and civilians for decades at this point. 
Uh, and they've certainly been doing it since 2006 when they took over the Gaza Strip. But Bernie Sanders is going to blame President Trump for all of this, even though Trump is, as it turns out, relatively new on the scene. Here's Bernie Sanders, an ignorant anti-Israel basher, doing this routine. Uh, and I fear that we are going to get sucked into a Sunni, Shia, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran war, which could be never-ending, never-ending. I think we're looking at an Orwellian nightmare of never-ending war. And uh, we've got to do everything we can to prevent that. Just, just, as in, just insane. Just insane. And we're, and we're fueling, we are fueling Trump, Republicans, Americans, we're fueling an Orwellian war between Shia and Sunni. Um, dude, the Shia-Sunni war has been going on for legitimately a thousand years. And as for the notion that Shia-Sunni war now is being promulgated by President Trump, no, it was promulgated by President Obama who decided to strengthen Iran. And it's Iranian money that's being put in the pockets of Hamas terrorists today. It's Iranian money that is being used to pay people to get shot by Israelis. This is uncontroversial, but Democrats have a particular perspective on the world that is completely afactual, and they continue to push that perspective as well. Whoopi Goldberg doing this routine too. Well, you know, the U.S. lost credibility by putting our embassy in Jerusalem. Oh, you mean as opposed to when we lost credibility by handing $150 billion to the Iranian government, a terrorist government? Whoopi Goldberg, Middle East expert. Explain it, Whoopi. I don't think that any one side should have done this. I don't think we should have done this at all. And now we've lost our, I feel, lost a bit of credibility because the Palestinians also feel that that's their land too. Mm -hmm. they, they've, they've, you know, they've lived there, life has been there, you know, that's, that's their blood also. Okay, this is incorrect. The idea that the United States was ever supposed to be an honest broker between a liberal democracy in the Middle East and a terror state in the Gaza Strip and the Palestinian Authority is patently insane. Well, good for the Trump administration. The Trump administration has stood tall here. Nikki Haley at the UN doing what needed to be done yesterday. Of course, there was a UN Security Council resolution brought against Israel because, of course, there was because the UN Security Council is a heaping pile of flaming garbage. The UN itself should be torn down and we should salt the ruins. I mean, the, the United Nations is just a a horrific institution, a horrible institution filled with evil nations who get an equal say in the supposed rules of international law. It's an absurd institution. There's no rationale for having an institution with Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan on their human rights council. It's just, it's just bizarre and weird. Anyway, Nikki Haley is there and the UN has basically become a staging ground for, for Democrats. It's a way for them to go there and rip on the United States as Barack Obama was fond of doing. And for Republicans, it's a way for Republicans to go there and rip on the, the international body itself. Here is Nikki Haley yesterday defending Israel's actions in the Gaza Strip, which of course she should be doing. Nikki Haley, again, my she is my spirit animal at the UN. At the UN, Nikki Haley is my spirit animal. Here she is. I asked my colleagues here in the Security Council, who among us would accept this type of activity on your border. No one would. No country in this chamber would act with more restraint than Israel has. In fact, the records of several countries here today suggest they would be much less restrained. Of course, all of this is true. By the way, there are 45 Palestinians who were killed in Syria in April. You heard about any of that? You hear about a word about that? No, because it wasn't Jews who were doing the shooting. As long as it is Jews who are defending themselves, then suddenly the world media is up in arms. I'm going to explain in a little while why the media react this way with regard to Israel as opposed to reacting when other nations kill people wholesale as opposed to Israel, which 
engaged in extraordinarily targeted killings. Amazing. Again, the New York Times was suggesting indiscriminate killing by Israel. 50 of the 62 people who were killed were actual members of Hamas. We know at least another three were members of Islamic Jihad. So that means that 53 out of the 62 killed were active members of terrorist organizations. And they're calling that indiscriminate. They're calling that indiscriminate. And Bibi Netanyahu is exactly right here, the Prime Minister of Israel. He says, listen, there's only one group of people who are responsible for what's happening right now, and it is the folks at Hamas. They're pushing civilians, women, children into the line of fire with a view of getting casualties. We try to minimize casualties. They're trying to incur casualties in order to, uh, uh, in order to put pressure on Israel, which is horrible. And what is the proof of this? The proof of this is that Hamas has repeatedly, historically, continuously hid behind civilians in the middle of war. They, there was a report from the Washington Post in the middle of the 2014 Gaza war that Hamas was hiding weapons in schools, in schools, because they knew that if Israel were to bomb the schools, then the international community would blame Israel for the hiding behind civilians. This is not new. This is not new. And again, they are not hiding the ball here. I'm going to show you some of the things that people in the media have been saying about this. It's just astonishing in just a second. First, I want to say thanks to our new sponsors over at Dynatrap. So Dynatrap, these are the people who ensure that your house is not filled with bugs. Summertime is officially upon us. And the only thing more irritating than the Democrats or the liberal or, or the left-leaning media are the flies, mosquitoes, and other insects invading your home. And, uh, you know, the honestly, I'm not even sure that... that even the flies and mosquitoes are quite as annoying as, as the left media at this point. But you don't want either of those things in your home. And that's why you need Dynatrap. So Dynatrap is the leading manufacturer of outdoor mosquito and insect traps. And they've come out with the indoor Dynatrap fly light. It looks like a subtle night light that plugs into any indoor outlet. The fly light works day and night to attract and trap flies, mosquitoes, other pesky insects. And it definitely works. So if you have you, you want to open the window because it's a nice night out, but you're afraid that the house is going to be invaded with bugs. Well, this is why you need the Dynatrap Flylight. We've been using the Dynatrap Flylight at our house because we do have a bit of a bug problem and it really has cleaned everything up. It's really terrific. Dynatrap has other products as well for outside. Trust me, there's nothing more embarrassing and gross looking than hanging up an old school flypaper in your home. It makes it look like you live in a slum. Plus, you never know what kind of bacteria flies are spreading, which is why you need Dynatrap. Go to D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-P.com. That's Dynatrap.com and enter the promo code DAILYWIRE and you get 15% off any of their products. Again, that's 15% off any of their products. So go check it out right now, Dynatrap.com. Enter that promo code DAILYWIRE. Dynatrap is the safe, silent, simple solution to household insect control. It is definitely worthwhile getting, keeping your house bug-free. Okay, so speaking of the insanity of the media, there, there are legitimately members of the media today who are saying that because Israel did not lose any soldiers, because there were no Jews who were killed in this confrontation with terrorists and rioters at the border, which is the whole purpose of having a border, the whole purpose of having a barbed wire border is so that you do not have to have your own soldiers killed attempting to kill terrorists. Because Israel killed 62 people and no Israelis were killed, there are legitimately people saying today that this is a massacre and Israel has lost the moral high ground. And I'm not kidding. They're saying that more Jews should have died. If Israel wanted to show parity, they should have apparently just dropped a bunch of Jews naked into the middle of the Gaza Strip and have a few of them torn apart limb from limb, as has actually happened to an Israeli soldier in, uh, in Ramallah about 15 years ago. They should just go ahead and do that. And then everything will be fine. Then we'll, then we'll acknowledge that there's moral parity. But because Israel killed more Palestinians and Israel did not die, there were no Israelis who died, this means there was no moral parity. Okay, Damon Linker from The Week, whose work sometimes I like. I mean, this is crazy. He tweeted out, when people on both sides die, it's a battle. When people on only one side die, it's a massacre, even when Jews do it. Dude, go F yourself. I mean, are you kidding me? So if somebody attacks me on the street and I pull out my gun and I shoot them, you know what the score is? The score is now 1-0. 
Was it, was it self-defense? Turns out it was. Because self-defense is not based on the amount of damage that the person does to me. It is not based on how many of my children the person kills before I shoot them. My whole goal is to prevent the death of me or my children or my family members or my friends. That's what's going on in Israel. Because if these invaders cross the border, they are not there to run in and drop a job application at the local Sparrows. That's not their goal. They're not trying to break through the border because they are desperate to go to an Israeli McDonald's. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is very simple. People are trying to cross the border to commit acts of terror. They're openly admitting this. It's not just Damon Linker tweeting out this insanity. There's Haroon Mogul at NBCNews.com, who for some reason was solicited to write a piece. And he writes, quote, a hugely disproportionate number of Palestinians die, while few, if any, Israelis ever do, in this case, zero. Still, Israel claims it is defending itself. Again, what in the living hell are you talking about, dude? Like, of course. Of course, Israel is losing less people than the Palestinians. You know why? Because they actually built a state with an active military that is capable of protecting its citizens, as opposed to Hamas, which is a tyrannical military dictatorship. But we're supposed to believe that Israel lost moral legitimacy because it didn't kill more of its own Jews. The whole reason Israel was established in the first place is to protect Jews from having to be killed. Jews were sick after 2,000 years of being killed en masse. It turns out they were sick of earning the moral high ground through their, through their corpses being spread on fields everywhere. And so they decided, hey, you know what might be good? Let's pick up some guns and create a state. They did. And now when the Jews defend themselves, and well, you know, if more Jews were to die, then that would definitely be more even-handed. You know what? I'm not going to sacrifice any of my family members. You're not going to sacrifice any of your family members. If anybody said this about American soldiers... Everybody would understand how disgusting and evil this is. Well, if more American soldiers were to be killed, surely that would establish a moral parity. Go, really, go to hell. Go to hell. I mean, what, what absolute nonsensical garbage. Okay, meanwhile, uh, the, the, the real question to be asked here is why are the media doing this? Again, the ball is not being hidden. Everything is transparent. Everything is out front. Everything is absolutely 100% clear. You can see what Hamas is doing. There are pictures of it. There are tapes of it. They're talking about it openly. To pretend that this is not happening is to be willfully blind. And yet, members of the media are being willfully blind. You've got idiots like Michelle Goldberg over at the New York Times, who legitimately is a dumb human being. And she wrote, quote, On Monday, Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, and other leading lights of the Trumpist right gathered in Israel to celebrate the relocation of the American embassy to Jerusalem, a gesture widely seen as a slap in the face to Palestinians who envision East Jerusalem as their future capital. First of all, if the Palestinians wanted to cut a deal and make East Jerusalem their future capital, guess where the United States would put their Palestinian embassy? In East Jerusalem, you dolt. And then she says, the event was grotesque. It was a consummation of the cynical alliance between hawkish Jews and Zionist evangelicals who believe the return of Jews to Israel will usher in the apocalypse and the return of Christ, after which Jews who don't convert will burn forever. Has this person ever met a Christian? Like Michelle Goldberg, she's writing this in the pages of the most prestigious newspaper in America. Has she ever met a person who believes in the Jesus? Has she ever met a person who goes to church? And Michelle Goldberg, I'm not sure, has ever met an evangelical Christian. If she believes that all evangelical Christians are just trying to reestablish Jerusalem as the Israeli capital so that Jesus will make his grand reappearance and then they'll all forcibly convert the Jews or the Jews will, won't, won't be raptured or some such, some such, that... Like, this is so ignorant. Okay, I talk to thousands of evangelicals, thousands of them, not just daily on the show. I mean, in person, I talk to thousands of evangelical Christians across the country. I have not heard this used as an excuse for backing Israel by one of them, not one. Okay, this is not typical. This is the, the, the sort of millennialist 
view of, of Christian support of Israel. This is a straw man that is put up by folks on the left because the vast majority of evangelicals do not believe that this is why they are supporting Israel. They believe they're supporting Israel because Israel is a moral power in the region, because Israel has a historical and religious right to be there, and because Israel is the root of the Western civilized tree. That is why. Not because of any of this revelations type stuff. Okay, but the media are pushing Hamas's propaganda. They're pushing Hamas's propaganda. Why? So there is a couple reasons why the media are pushing Hamas's propaganda. First, members of the Western media believe wrongly that everyone thinks the same things about human rights and individual freedom. They think this. So they, they have this weird, bizarre perspective that everyone secretly, deep down in the cockles of their heart, wants to live in San Francisco. That that's, that's the kind of life they want to live. That if you are a Palestinian, a Muslim Palestinian who believes that the Al-Aqsa Mosque is a holy, a holy place and that the Jews are occupiers from the river to the sea, that if you believe that, really you don't believe that. Really what you really believe is that there should be gay rights and everybody shouldn't have kids, they should have puppies and that, every, and that the sexual revolution was awesome. That's, that's what everyone seriously believes, like deep down. But these Palestinians don't believe it because of the system, because of the hierarchy, because of oppression and repression. And when they sacrifice children by putting them out at the front lines, and when they hide behind those children as terrorists, the reason they're doing this is out of desperation. So assumption number one is the Palestinians actually want the same thing that Westerners do en masse. Okay, this is not true. There are some Palestinians who certainly want those things. But the vast majority of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip voted for Hamas in 2006. And polls show the vast majority of them are supportive of Hamas now. Okay, so that's paternalistic view number one. Paternalistic view number two is that Palestinians are not actively pursuing Western definitions of freedom. But that's not because they don't believe in Western definitions of freedom. No, because everyone believes in Western definitions of freedom. They don't believe in Western definitions of freedom and they don't pursue Western definitions of freedom because they are so oppressed and because they are angry and humiliated. And that's why if we just got rid of the anger and humiliation, then the Palestinian Authority, Hamas, all these people would be thrown out in favor of the Labor Party in Britain. That's what would happen. This is so paternalistic. It is so ignorant of realities on the ground. It is almost beyond words. Sarah Bamari writes a commentary. He's exactly right. Palestinian Arabs are human beings, which means they are possessed of free will, agency, and the natural capacity to reason like any other people. This basic, incontestable anthropological reality needs to be frequently restated today since our media and foreign policy establishment have apparently concluded the opposite. There are desperate people all over the world who never translate their frustration into suicide bombing, stone throwing, border rushing, and days of rage. It does the Palestinians no good to treat them as children entitled to tantrums, as permanent wards of the international community, or worse, as wild men bereft of reason. Then again, such high-handed pity isn't really about helping the Palestinians so much as it is about flattering their Western friends. Okay, so in just a second, I want to explain why it seems the press has such antipathy to Israel. It is connected with the press's antipathy for President Trump, their antipathy for Brexit, their antipathy for nationalism more generally. I'll explain. First, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Upside. So, if you were an astronaut, you would need mission control. You would need somebody on the ground telling you that they were getting things taken care of. This is what most people are looking for in life, are people who are out there to help them to ensure they get where they need to go when they need to get there. Well, this is what Upside is for. They are your mission control. They are looking out for you every step of the way. They are handling any problem that might pop up. They have a team of specialists that work 24-7 to make sure your flight, hotel, and car rental all go off without a hitch. I can't tell you the number of times that I have traveled and I have used another website to travel, and it turns out that there's some problem in the process, and then you go to the counter and they're like, well, you know, you booked through one of these other websites and uh, we can't help you. Tough. Tough news. And you try to call up the website and there's nobody there to help you. Upside is the opposite. Upside is going to help you. They monitor your trip around the clock. They proactively keep you posted on everything from if it's going to rain to alternative return flights home in case you want to squeeze in another meeting. You're not going to experience this level of service anywhere else. Once you've experienced that concierge service from Upside, you're not going to want to use 
any other travel website. For easy booking, competitive prices, and a team that always has your back, go to Upside.com. And for a limited time, when you book your first business trip with Upside, you get a minimum $100 Amazon.com gift card, which is pretty awesome. Go to Upside.com slash Ben. Book your first business trip. Upside.com slash Ben. Use that slash Ben. You get a $100 Amazon.com gift card when you book your first trip. $600 minimum purchase required while supplies last. See the site for complete details. Again, that's Upside.com slash Ben. Check it out. It's pretty awesome. Okay, so why is it that the Western media are so... Why do they have such antipathy for Israel? Why Israel? So the easy answer is because they're not fond of the Uden. Okay, and maybe there's some truth to that. But I would venture to say that most of the people who are anti-Israel don't consider themselves anti-Semitic. They'll tell you they have, they have Jewish friends. Many of them are Jewish. So why is it that there's this antipathy for Israel? It goes to something deeper. It goes to something deeper. And that is there's been a shift in the Western mentality with regard to the nation state. So there's been a lot of talk lately about the differences between nationalism and patriotism. Well, I believe that I'm a more patriotic guy than a nationalistic guy, meaning I'm not a blood and soil nationalist who believes that just because I was born here, America is great. No, I think America is great because we share a common heritage, a common hold, a culture, a common set of values. But I do believe that the nation state is a better way to organize the world than is an international, utopian, global government. I, I just don't think that's going to work. I think it's, ne it's never worked. I think an attempt to spread empire has usually failed. The nation state is a better solution to people's aspirations so long as the nation state is promulgating good values. Because having a group of people who share a certain tribal affinity thanks to culture and values and also share a value system that is worth upholding, this has been the basis of Western civilization for a very long time, particularly since the Protestant Reformation, the Peace of Westphalia, in which the idea of sort of a Catholic hegemony over the Western world was shattered in favor of this idea that if you are a nation, you deserve self-determination so long as you fulfilled certain basic moral precepts. Yoram Hazoni of the Herzl Institute has written about this. He has a great new book that is out, uh, in, I believe, in September called The Virtue of Nationalism, totally worth the read and really interesting. As he points out, nationalism was responsible for the rise of France and the rise of Britain, as well as the rise of Germany. Now, after World War II, there's a real push against nationalism, right? After World War I, there was a push in favor of nationalism. There was a push in favor of the idea of self-determination of peoples so that they wouldn't be under the thumb of, for example, a German empire or a Russian empire. But after World War II, after the Nazis, there was a push against nationalism. The idea was that German nationalism had led to World War II. In reality, it was German imperialism that led to World War II. It was Germany attempting to expand its borders outward, not Germany saying, hey, we just want to sit here within our own borders and not bother anybody. Right? That's nationalism. But imperialism is the idea that you're going to take your nation and spread it out globally, not that you're going to spread your values where possible among allied nations, but that you are legitimately going to take over other nations and make them Germany. Right? And that was the German ideal during World War II under the Nazis. This is the idea of a Reich, this, this Third Reich. Okay, so what happened is that after World War II, there was a rejection of nationalism wholesale. Yoram Hazoni writes, and I think he's correct, today, many in the West have come to regard an intense personal loyalty to the, na to the national state and its right to chart an independent course as something not only unnecessary, but morally suspect. They no longer see national loyalties and traditions as necessarily providing a sound basis for determining the laws we live by, for regulating the economy, or making decisions about defense and security, for establishing public norms concerning religion or education, and for deciding who gets to live in what part of the world. The idea here is why not a world government? Why not be a real globalist? Why, if it's so great, why not just spread those rules out for everyone? The UN can rule all of us. Why not reject, in this case, Israel's sovereignty in favor of an internationalized Jerusalem? Why not say there needs to be no Jewish state? Instead, Jews should just become citizens of the world because we all should be citizens of the world. The answer is obvious. Nations still exist because human beings do not operate this way. 
human beings do have tribal affinity. Human beings do look for a collective that shares their values to be a part of. And that collective is not going to be global. It isn't because people do not share enough values for those collectives to be global. The entire globe does not think like the editorial board of the New York Times. Israel has to exist because the rest of the world doesn't think like the editorial board of the New York Times. And by the way, if the rest of the world did think like the editorial board of the New York Times, Israel would still have to exist because the New York Times is very much in favor, of, apparently, of Palestinian terrorism via Hamas. Israel has a right to exist and to defend itself. The same people who oppose Israel oppose Brexit, and they think that President Trump saying things like make America great again is inherently evil because they think nationalism is the problem, you know, moving in the, in the aftermath of the Hannah Arendt's ideology about how nationalism was the great curse on humanity, which really is not true. Tremendous, tremendous violence has happened between nation states, no doubt. But usually that violence happening between nation states is because of imperial ambitions that extend beyond the nation state. In any case, the media continue to mirror Hamas's preferred line, and that is going to get more Palestinians killed. You know, Mark Levin said yesterday that, that the, the Palestinians are going to, uh, that the Palestinians uh, are going to die because of, of what the media is doing. The media has blood on its hands. This is absolutely true. When the media say that Hamas wins every time a Palestinian is killed, what do you think Hamas is going to do? They're going to put babies on the front lines. They're going to put women on the front lines. They're going to put children on the front lines. And then they're going to claim that Israel is evil and Israel is terrible. It's the same thing terrorist groups try to do with the United States. Terrorist groups have been doing this for legitimately decades. It's the reason why the Geneva Conventions were written in the first place. Okay, the reason that the Geneva Conventions were created in the first place was specifically to convince people to stop acting as terrorists hiding among civilian populations. The idea was if you dressed in a uniform and you went out away from the, the civilian population, then you were accorded certain additional rights. Whereas if you hid among civilians, then those rights went away. That was a good thing. We're obscuring it now because we are stupid here in the West and we think that everybody has the same aspirations that we do. This obviously is not true. Okay, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Policy Genius. So, you need life insurance, okay? Look, you're going to die. We're all going to die. Okay, sorry to break it to you. I know it's a downer. But when you do, you shouldn't leave your family without any money. And that's why you need life insurance. 80% of people think life insurance costs double what it actually costs. Not only that, almost 100% of people think buying life insurance is a pain in the neck. The truth is a healthy 35-year-old can get half a million bucks in coverage for less than 30 bucks a month. And getting life insurance does not have to be complicated because there's Policy Genius. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare life insurance online. In just five minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find the best policy for you. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance, placed over $20 billion in coverage, and they don't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance and renter's insurance and health insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. They make it super, super easy. You're online right now, probably listening to the show, so go to Policy Genius while you're sitting there and get it done. PolicyGenius.com, it's the easy way to compare top insurers and find the best policy for you. Again, save time, save money, save hassle, and it's free. There's no excuse for leaving your family without money if you die. PolicyGenius.com, make sure you won't. Go to PolicyGenius.com, go check it out right now. Okay, so in other foreign policy news, President Trump is apparently being jerked around by the North Koreans. We'll talk about that in just a second. First, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. So for $9.99 a month, you get the rest of this show live, the rest of Knowles' show live, the rest of Clavin's show live, and special benefits. We are now doing live events. And as you can see, because we're doing live events in places like Dallas and Phoenix, because we are doing those things, if you are a member, if you have membership through dailywire.com, this means you get first crack at the VIP tickets. It means you get first crack at the seats. Right now, you can buy tickets in Dallas and Phoenix, but only if you're a member. Okay, you're gonna have, if you're not a member, you have to wait for another day and a half. Uh, and so when you get that membership, you also get the annual membership. You get this, the leftist here's hot or cold mug, which apparently is just being filled on a routine basis this week by leftists who don't know the first thing about foreign policy. 
Also, we'd appreciate it if you go over to Apple News and check out Daily Wire over at Apple News, where you can get our all of the stuff that we are breaking, which we are breaking news on a constant basis at Daily Wire. So check that out. If you want to listen later to the show for free, go over to YouTube, subscribe. Please go over to uh, over to iTunes and subscribe, and please leave us a review. It always helps us. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. <laughs> Okay, so now the latest with regard to North Korea. So North Korea is threatening to pull out of this big, this big summit that they were going to have with President Trump. This is always the danger of President Trump accepting the idea of, of going to a summit in the first place and doing so very publicly, as opposed to sort of just keeping it on the down low and then springing it on everybody. By the way, next week I'm meeting with the North Koreans. The North Koreans are now trying to convince the United States to stop military drills by withdrawing the possibility of the meeting. I was always very skeptical of this meeting. Uh, you can go back and listen to the show. I was very skeptical of the idea anything good was going to come from this meeting. I was very skeptical of the idea that North Korea was going to give up its nuclear weapons, particularly because North Korea, knowing that the United States would topple them if they didn't have nuclear weapons, has an interest in pursuing nuclear weapons full scale at this point. Well, according to the Daily Mail, North Korea's government says it is considering calling off a planned nuclear summit between Kim Jong-un and President Donald Trump. Kim's regime said through state-run news agency KCNA that ongoing Max Thunder joint military exercises between the U.S. and South Korea are actually a rehearsal for invasion of the North. KCNA said, quote, the United States will also have to undertake careful deliberations about the fate of the planned North Korea-U.S. summit in light of this provocative military ruckus jointly conducted with the South Korean authorities. First of all, well done on them for using the word ruckus in a sentence. But beyond that, this is uh, this is obviously a ploy to, to get all of the Trump administration to back off of the military exercise. I'll explain more in just a second. First, the North Koreans are trying to pull back, obviously, from the summit in an attempt to get concessions from the Trump administration. Now, Trump shouldn't do it. The polarity has been reversed. Okay, it used to be that the North Koreans were seeking some sort of summit with Trump. Now, once Trump has said yes, he's invested in the idea of a summit. This happens with every president. It happened with Obama, too. Once Obama was invested in the idea of a, of a rapprochement with Iran, then he was invested in pretending that Iran was actually doing the right thing. Well, now the Trump administration is sort of getting sucked into this cycle as well, because now President Trump, apparently the White House, has said that they are going to scale down uh, the, this particular exercise. So according to U UPI, joint exercises between the United States and South Korea will move forward, but the B-52 strategic bomber and eight F-22 Raptors will not be deployed during drills. The decision to downscale the drills was reached between U.S. Forces Korea Commander Vincent Brooks and South Korean Defense Minister Song Young-moo Wednesday after North Korea criticized the joint exercise Max Thunder being held in the South, according to News One. So the criticism of the United States and South Korea came as a surprise to the South Korean military. The United States should not have done this. We should not have scaled back the military exercise. We should have told the South Koreans we're not willing to scale back the military exercise. No concessions to a nuclear-armed North Korea. No concessions. None. The United States is not in a position to be making concessions to probably the worst state on earth, a giant gulag state. There is no excuse for this. It is, it is bad policy. As good as the, uh, the Trump administration has been on Middle Eastern policy, when it comes to North Korean policy, making concessions to the North Koreans or making concessions to the Chinese, as Trump did over the weekend, none of that is useful stuff. You can't get invested in trying to uphold the credibility of a regime that should have no credibility in the first place. Okay, in other breaking news, apparently there's a bunch of documents that have now come out from the interviews by, by Congress with Donald Trump Jr. And it turns out that Donald Trump Jr. may or may not have spoken to Donald Trump Sr. after meeting with Russian lawyers at Trump Tower in June 2016. You'll recall that Donald Trump Jr. met with a, a Russian lawyer named Veselnitskaya, who he had been told was going to give him material on Hillary Clinton. And 
that material never materialized, but the question was whether he had told President Trump about it. Well, now what the call logs show is that in the middle of that meeting, he talked with Veselnitskaya apparently, and then there was an, a call to an unnamed number, an untraceable number, and then it was like four minutes long, and Trump Jr. says that he does not know exactly who is on the other end of that phone. He doesn't remember. I find this relatively unlikely. I would not be surprised at all if President Trump knew about the Trump Tower meeting. This, however, does not prove collusion. In order to prove collusion, you have to prove not only that the Trump administration was willing to collude and that they were willing to talk with the Russian government about going after Hillary Clinton, but that they did, in fact, collude. The material switch transferred hands, that there was actual there was actual coordination between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. None of that has been proved to any significant extent. We've known this since last year. It is a big deal. Okay, I don't want to pretend it's not a big deal that Donald Trump Jr. and top members of the Trump campaign were meeting with emissaries from the Russian government to get dirt on Hillary Clinton. Obviously, that is a problem. Okay, but if none of the material changed hands, there's no active collusion and there's no crime. So intent does not actually constitute the crime in this particular case. Plus, Donald Trump Jr., it's going to be very hard to catch him criminally because he did what any lawyer would advise Donald Trump Jr. to do here. He said, I don't remember. I don't remember who I was talking to. I don't remember what happened at this meeting. Right? He had a sudden bout of amnesia. Not uncommon in the legal world. It makes a fair bit of sense legally. I think that the, the left is, is going a little bit crazy over all of this. The left is suggesting that this is finally the death knell for Trump. It's not going to happen. And this is one of the big problems that the left has right now. If you look at the polls, the generic ballot, the generic ballot right now is not that great for Democrats. They're up by, on average, 5.2%. Okay, that is significantly down from the 8 to 10% that it was just a couple of months ago. Part of the reason for that is because Democrats have been proclaiming from the tops of hills for literally two years now that there was going to be some deus ex machina, that somebody was going to come in from the outside and depose Trump. Robert Mueller was going to come in and save America from the scourge of Trump. Or Donald Trump Jr. was going to come forward with evidence and that would save America from the scourge of Trump. None of this is going to happen. Trump is going to remain in office for his entire tenure. He's going to be there for at least four years and maybe eight. And, and the sooner Democrats get used to that idea, the sooner they can start fighting him smart. But they're not fighting him smart. Instead, they're moving far to the far to the left. So it's kind of interesting. There's a case to be made that Barack Obama drove the right so nuts that they began nominating terrible candidates just because they were the most extreme candidates in primaries. Well, Donald Trump has driven the left so nuts. His victory has driven the left so out of their minds that they are now nominating the most extreme candidates that they can find. So they are attempting to nominate candidates like this one. Here's an ad that was run by a Democrat in which he legitimately says F the NRA in the middle of the ad. F the NRA. Their pro-gun policies have resulted in dead children, dead mothers, and dead fathers. I'm Pat Davis, and I approve this message because if Congress won't change our gun laws, we're changing Congress. So Pat Davis is running for the Democratic nomination in New Mexico's first district, and he says F the NRA, and that's his actual ad. Okay, that guy's probably more popular than the mainstream members of the Democratic coalition, which is not supremely surprising because the Democratic coalition doesn't have a lot to say on a lot of major issues. There's an article in the Washington Post specifically today about the fact that the, that the Democratic coalition seems to be nominating the most extreme possible human beings, it, it, which, is, which is obvious. I mean, last night, there were two socialists who won in races in Pennsylvania. Socialists, open socialists. The Democratic Party is, is polarizing largely in response to what has happened with President Trump. So President Trump's victory has made the left crazy. It's making them crazy in the same way that there's a case to be made that the right started nominating bad candidates because they were so driven nuts by President Obama and the dominance of the left. Well, now the left is seeing that 
in reverse. There's an, there's a, an, an article by James Homan over at the Washington Post today called The Far Left is Winning the Democratic Civil War. The success of very liberal candidates in primaries across four states is causing a new bout of heartburn among party strategists in Washington who worry about unelectable activists thwarting their drive for the House majority. I remember when these articles were being written about folks from the right like five minutes ago. Now it's being written about folks from the left, and that's because folks from the left legitimately, legitimately have, uh, have I think, reacted to President Trump with the most extreme possible rhetoric. That's what's going to get them elected. They know it, uh, but it's not going to go get them elected in, in general elections. It works in primaries, doesn't work in generals. Okay. So meanwhile, it turns out that the TV industry has decided that it is deeply imperative to revive every show that has ever been on TV for any amount of time. So they've already revived Roseanne. Uh, now they are apparently reviving Murphy Brown. So CBS executives revealed to reporters on Wednesday morning the return of the politically-minded 1990s-era comedy series, but it will have a new setting. So in the original, Candace Bergen's Murphy Brown anchored a primetime news magazine. You recall that Candace Brown made a lot of headlines at the time because Candace Brown got, um, she, her, her character, Murphy Brown, rather, got pregnant out of wedlock and then had the baby. And when Dan Quayle suggested that this might not be a good influence on people, the entire left went insane. How dare he suggest that culture is in any way connected to politics. Then when Joe Biden said without will and grace, there wouldn't be gay marriage, everybody went, yeah, that's true. So it turns out that culture does have an impact on politics. But in any case, now Murphy Brown is going to be hosting a show called Murphy in the Morning. Her biggest competitor will be her own son, who's hosting his own conservative morning news show. This is just what we need. We need a really politicized show, I think. I think we need more pop culture that, that demonstrates full scale the gap between left and right. I think that's really gonna be good for the country. When executives were asked if the setup was supposed to mirror Morning Joe versus Fox and Friends, they said yes. So CBS Entertainment President Kelly Call said, we fully expect a lot of people are going to come to Murphy Brown. We felt this could be a great piece to make this block the strongest on TV. So apparently they have a combination of new and old cast members. Uh, it's gonna go into CBS's comedy block on Thursdays at 9.30 p.m. The moving political uh, is, is only smart if you're actually moving along with the times. I highly doubt, I, I really doubt that Murphy Brown is, uh, is suddenly going to be the big hit the way that Roseanne was when it first broke in because we've seen shows from Hollywood before in which the right is castigated as terrible and evil and ignorant and bigoted. And in fact, I think Roseanne has moved in that direction. I mean, this has been one of the problems with Roseanne's ratings. It started off like a house of fire because there are a lot of Trump supporters who said, wow, people who aren't openly disrespecting me. And then it turns out that Roseanne is what Roseanne always was, which is a socially left show, which is promulgating particular messages that a lot of Trump supporters don't believe in. And so people stopped watching the show. Once it turned into another leftist soap opera with a few laughs thrown in, people weren't as interested in it. But this is the way that Hollywood works, right? Hollywood can never grant a fully a fully formed conservative character unless they are cast as a sort of mentorship character who's fuddy-duddy and old and kind of out of it, like Ron Swanson uh, or like Alec Baldwin's character in Jack Donaghy in, uh, in 30 Rock. If you're that sort of character, they'll cast you. But what's hilarious about that is that as soon as those characters appear on TV, they immediately become the most popular characters on the show. Conservative characters are actually deeply popular on television because conservative characters make for good comedy. When you put a bunch of lefties with their hoity-toity notions about the world in front of conservatives who are sitting there doing the facts don't care about your feelings routine, which really was Ron Swanson's routine in Parks and Rec and Jack Donaghy's routine in 30 Rock. When you do that, people resonate to him. They're not going to resonate nearly as much to, why don't you come here and we'll lecture you. Come here and we will lecture you about the right thing to do. Now, speaking of bias in the media, John Oliver did a full-on defense of Venezuelan, uh, of Venezuelan socialism. He didn't defend Venezuelan socialism so much as he defended socialism from 
Venezuela's failures. So here is John Oliver on his show the other night trying to say that Venezuela is not real socialism. Real socialism is the countries that I like and that aren't really socialist. Venezuela is not socialist because, you see, Venezuela lost because it was mismanaged, not because it's socialist. Here's John Oliver making that idiotic case. But what is happening in Venezuela is not just extremely important, it is absolutely worth paying attention to, because this is not just a story about socialism. There are plenty of socialist countries that look nothing like Venezuela. It's a story about epic mismanagement, so epic that a nation of 31 million people with the largest oil reserves in the world have been forced to resort to some pretty creative forms of protest. Well, according, according to John Oliver, there's apparently no connection between a giant centralized government, including nationalization of resources and government mismanagement. None. Incredible. Incredible. You know, people will like to cite Norway in this context. Well, Norway has a large nationalized sector. Right. And when they own large pieces of stock in companies, they allow those companies to function like private entities in the market. In fact, if they don't meet certain profit margins, then they change the, then they change the, the staff at those particular companies. So it, it's always funny how Democrats, people on the left, people like John Oliver like to pick and choose among the socialist countries they like. The ones they like happen not to be particularly socialist. The ones that are most socialist, including centralization of resources and top-down government centralization of management power, those are the ones that, that, that they're just failing because of mismanagement. No one understands why they were mismanaged. They just sort of were. Weird how that works. If only socialism were really tried, you know, really tried, then things would go well. It's never socialism if it fails. It's only socialism if it, if it succeeds, which means real socialism has never been tried because real socialism has never actually succeeded. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So this may be the most beautiful piece ever written. Uh, this is a piece by Robert Schumann called Widmung. Uh, and it was uh, it is an, an aria that was, trans it was uh, transferred over to piano. It was rewritten for piano by Franz Liszt, who is a contemporary of, of Robert Schumann. It's just a gorgeous piece. Schumann's life is such a tragedy. And he had a bunch of kids with his wife, Clara Schumann, who was a concert pianist in her own right. And she toured around Europe. Uh, and they were very close with Brahms. Like he, he actually called Brahms the next coming of Beethoven, basically, which is a pretty heavy burden to put on Brahms. Brahms became very close to the family. And then Schumann became severely mentally ill. He actually died in a sanatorium because he was deeply mentally ill. Uh, and Brahms fell in love sort of with Clara as all of this was happening. It's, it's really uh, a, a really sad story. In any case, this piece of music by Robert Schumann is just fantastic. This is Arthur Rubinstein, one of the great pianists who ever lived, playing the, uh, the Schumann's Widmung. It's just a fantastic piece. It's not particularly long. It's about four or five minutes long. Uh, you can go check it out over at YouTube. They have a, a version of it. Uh, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful piece. So go check that out. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. So yesterday, Tom Wolfe passed away. Tom Wolfe was one of the great nonfiction journalists of the 20th century. I would say that he was the best nonfiction journalist of the last half of the 20th century. First half, you'd have to say was George Orwell. Second half, you could easily say was Tom Wolfe. Uh, some of his journalism is just phenomenal. He died at the age of uh, 87. And his, if you've never read Radical Chic and Mao Mao the Flat Catchers, these are two of his, his finest essays. He wrote a piece called Radical Chic. Uh, it is in, in 1966. 
And it was about Leonard Bernstein, who is the who is the conductor and head of the New York Philharmonic, and who is a far left guy, like really far left. Uh, and his wife, Felicia, who decided they were going to have the Black Panthers to their apartment. And the, the piece is called Radical Chic. And I want to read you a little section of it just to show you how amazing these, like legitimately how amazing Tom Wolfe's writing was. Tom Wolfe was able to go into places that no one would have allowed him in because he was considered a Hunter S. Thompson type who had this weird style of writing. And he was kind of kooky, right? He wore white suits and all this. So he couldn't have really been conservative. It turns out Tom Wolfe was a deeply conservative dude. And Tom Wolfe's writing is deeply conservative. If you've never read Bonfire of the Vanities, the first half of Bonfire of the Vanities is some of the best novel writing ever uh, and some of the best political commentary ever. Second half falls apart a little bit, but the first half of Bonfire of the Vanities is just great. I think I've read every novel he ever wrote and most of his nonfiction. And uh, I'm, I'm very sad that I never got to meet him because I was a big admirer. This is a section from Radical Chic. This is Tom Wolfe writing about all of these far leftists having the Black Panthers over. The Black Panthers who are acknowledging openly that they want to kill pigs and, and murder white people and all of these radical left people sitting there in their swanky penthouse apartment in New York City nodding at them and thinking that they've done something magical by having the Black Panthers over. Here's a section, quote, And now in the season of Radical Chic, the Black Panthers, that huge panther there, the one Felicia, this would be Leonard Bernstein's wife, is smiling her tango smile at, is Robert Bay, who just 41 hours ago was arrested in an altercation with the police, supposedly over a 38 caliber revolver that someone had in a parked car in Queens at Northern Boulevard and 104th Street or some such unbelievable place and taken to jail on the most unusual charge called criminal facilitation. And now he is out on bail and walking into Leonard and Felicia Bernstein's 13-room penthouse duplex on Park Avenue. Harassment and hassles, guns and pigs, jail and bail. They're real, these Panthers. The very idea of them, these real revolutionaries who put their lives on the line, runs through Lenny's duplex like a rogue hormone. Everyone casts a glance or stares or tries to smile and then sizes up the house for the somewhat delicious counterpoint. Deny it if you want to, but one does end up making such sweet, furtive comparisons in this season of Radical Chic. There's Otto Preminger in the library and Jean Vandenhoevel in the hall and Peter and Sheree Dushin in the living room and Frank and Domna Stanton, Gail Lumet, Sheldon Harnick, Cynthia Phipps, Burton Lane, Mrs. August Heckscher, and scores more, including Charlotte Curtis, women's news editor of the New York Times, America's foremost chronicler of society, a lean woman in black, her notebook out, standing near Felicia and Big Robert Bay and talking to Sheree Dushin. Sheree tells her, I've never met a Panther. This is a first for me. Never dreaming that within 48 hours, her words will be on the desk of the president of the United States. This is a first for me, but she is not alone in her thrill as the Black Panthers come trucking in for Indeleni's house. Robert Bay, Don Cox, the Panthers field marshal from Oakland, Henry Miller, the Harlem Panther defense captain, the Panther woman, Christ. If the Panthers don't know how to get it all together, as they say, the tight pants, the tight black turtlenecks, the leather coats, Cuban shades, afros, but real afros, not the ones that have been shaped and trimmed like a topiary hedge and sprayed until they have a sheen like acrylic wall to wall, but funky, natural, scraggly, wild. These are no civil rights Negroes wearing gray suits three sizes too big. No more interminable urban league banquets in hotel rooms where they try to alternate blacks and whites around the table as if they were stringing Arapaho beads. These are real men. It's just, it's fantastic writing. Go check out Radical Chic and Mad Mowing the Flash ca Flat Catchers, the best work Tom Wolf ever did. His book, The Right Stuff, is just as terrific. It's better than the movie. Uh, real tragedy that, he's, that he passed away, um, but he left an enormous and fantastic body of work. Check out Tom Wolf's work if you have not. Okay, so we'll be back here tomorrow with all the latest. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Mathis Glover, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 